Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Still no football, but yet we're here, Dan. We are putting in the time trying to fill the void, the massive void that is left in our lives as we all quarantine and socially keep away from everyone else and all those other good guidances we've been given. Well, look, it was really hard making this work this weekend from a scheduling standpoint. So many things to do, so many potential activities, Nick. I mean, you know, when you can go in between your house to the other end of your house, there's uh, not a lot of time for podcasting. Yeah, I know. I, you know. I was just doing about a thousand push-ups before the show, so you guys really interrupted that. Um, I have a bunch of beers to drink. I did go out and just buy a tremendous amount of alcohol to support my local liquor store uh, because, you know, those guys need help right now, and I'm more than willing to give it to them. So, um, Very charitable of you. Yeah, look, I mean, besides that, really not a whole lot. <laughs> well, the best way to fill your busy schedules is is with a podcast, and obviously... As we look, you know, kind of bigger picture at things right now, because we can't break down match by match as they come in and go, uh, obviously talking kind of last episode with Andy Saunders about, you know, what will the outcome of this Premier League season be potentially and, and the ripples effects with that. Uh, so this time we brought in the man, Joe Tweeds, to talk a lot about the 
financial and economics of the club and of just football market and kind of situation in general. So Tweeds, super excited to have you back on. Tweeds. Yeah. Hey guys. Yeah. I've, uh, I, for ages, I've, I've tried to distance myself from combining my job and, uh, podcast and football, but apparently I've now kind of resurfaced as the Chelsea financial guy. So I'll embrace my newfound role and, and stop the misinformation that is being portrayed to the uh, to the masses. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be back as always. Yeah, it will it'll definitely be a little bit different, obviously. But, you know, again, we need to, you know, look at things from a, a macro level right now and, and take some different dives into it. So I think you guys will really enjoy it as well, um, as always. Uh, so uh, today, what we will be digging into... Really, uh, def- really quick, can I do a quick title? Yeah, of, well, of course oh, you can boy. do it. Theme of the pod, Joe Tweed Smart Pod. <laughs> Joe Tweeds. <laughs> Can we say pot. not your best work? Uh, Look, he didn't even type it out. It was this was off the top of the head. He's just yeah. riffing now. All right, freestyling. Yeah, boy, the creativity uh, that comes out of this. This is why. Stone. This is why we have him type it out. Typically, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll definitely be focused on uh, getting a lesson in the transfer economics and amortized wages from Professor Tweeds not your Harry Potter character, and primarily focused on the rumored contract terms for Tammy Abraham, which really instigated a lot of this uh, on Twitter in the last few days. And then we'll definitely touch on uh, how much Chelsea do or do not need this season to continue, as we've just found out that the Premier League, the FA, are happy to dump that bill onto all of the teams instead of collectively handling it together. So, uh, and if we have a little bit of time, we uh, will go ahead and dissect Frank Lampard's performance as manager. But who knows? We might have to share that for another one. Uh, but before we get into this, normally this is where you do shoutouts, reviews, and Patreon, everything. But Dan, instead, um, we're we're using our platform, as the pros call it, to do some good. That is correct. We are trying to make sure that in this time, we know it's really tough, and we were kind of racking our brains together to figure out what's something that we could do. Yeah, I know last episode, we announced that we're kind of pausing Patreon for the month, and I think as we were talking to some of our, our supporters on there, they're like, well, we want to donate what we're, we typically put for you know a monthly payment there somewhere, and so uh, we opted to put, you know, Put some money behind Feeding America. You know, they're doing a lot right now with food banks across the United States to try to raise to the unprecedented pandemic times that we're in right now and making sure that people have a meal and can eat. And, you know, we were going to match up to $1,000 in total donations from the podcast. So we've already seen a couple come through. People are tagging us with their uh, receipts. That's all we want to see is just that you've kind of made your personal donation and, you know, we also, Nick, we have someone, um, a one listener who's offered to match us as well. Yeah, I mean, it, what, what we've learned in this uh, in this kind of crazy time that we live in is that our audience is so willing to step up to the plate to help other people. It's amazing. Uh, it's super inspirational. And, you know, when we were when we paused the Patreon things, we had people reach out and go, hey, like, where can I direct my, you know, I'd rather give my my Patreon feed as someone who needs it or whatever. So that's why we're doing this. But uh, our friend Caleb, who is, who's been a long time listener of the show, who is you know a good friend at this point has offered to match up to another thousand dollars on his own because he's just generous as hell. Um, so, I mean, we can make a, a pretty big difference here guys. And, and it's something that I think we're passionate about. We've done some, some charity work in the past and certainly just want to give back during this time because, you know, I think, the four of us on the show right now all have all have jobs that can be 
that can be done uh, remotely or at least partly remotely over the last over the next few uh, weeks and months. So we just want to help people who are affected by this. And and if you can, please donate. We don't need to see your credit card information on the receipt. Just just the donation amount. Please don't send us your credit card information. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you can do something to to give back and help, we'd, we'd love to be able to uh, to donate up to up to three grand to help people. And that's a that's a pretty good thing. And just it's feedingamerica.org on the front page. There's a donate now button. It's the top item there. It's their COVID-19 response fund. So please head there. Please donate. Please give what you can if you can. Um, and we will continue to match. And our friend Caleb is going to match. And I think we'll be able to make a, a big difference as uh, London is blue and, and Chelsea kind of community here. Dan, did you mention that if people donate over $50 that we may have some special swag for them? Perhaps. Oh, that is also something that we're willing to do as well. So we will Maybe. work on getting some, getting some physical items to you if you donate over fifty. So uh, we want to knock this out of the park. We want to get it, you know, get it done, so to say. So uh, please, you know, just uh, send those those receipts, email, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just uh, raise the flag when you do it, and then we will continue to match up to that thousand total. All right. Well, that's less than a dollar per listener, and we'll easily smash that thousand dollar mark. Plus a thousand from us and a thousand from Caleb. That's at least three thousand that we're gonna have going to feeding America. Looking forward to crushing that with all of you and giving away some prizes in the process. So now we can get to business quite literally. So okay, Joe. Let's make economics fun here, at least relevant. I don't know if you can really make it. No, I'm just kidding. I actually enjoy economics. Uh, There's been many threads where you've had to try and convince people in a series of tweets that signing Tammy Abraham to an expensive weekly contract is 100% in the best interest of the club. And unfortunately, we have found that there aren't enough tweets in the world for you to convince some of these people. So we thought we would have a safe, elevated conversation away from the noise. Again, the news is Tammy wants around 180,000 pounds per week. And this has ruffled some feathers because people are concerned, A, that this is a ton of money for a semi-unproven player, and B, it will have the hashtag ripple effect of other players, anyone from the academy, also demanding massive wages, kind of like Callum Hudson-Odoi got last season. So your response, sir. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm, I'm currently I'm in the, uh, the midst of getting some uh, mega, so borrowing from uh, Mr. Donald himself, make economics uh, great again, t-shirts and swag made up as part of my new campaign. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel a little bit like I've kind of unveiled some sort of magic trick to people over the past couple of days by, <laughs> you know, uh, almost some sort of TEDx talk by here's, you know, here's why everything you think about money and football is wrong. And, you know, like I'm some sort of crazy person, but uh, yeah, I mean, you guys know I, I work in, in banking. So this sort of stuff, maybe I've, I've taken for granted in terms of how I think about things and anyone who studied economics, accounting or, maybe works in a slightly more business-oriented professional, potentially, hopefully, I think, uh, uh, come from where I'm coming from. So I think what, what I've tried to do is to kind of present an argument, you know, what I've, I felt has been a simplified way, which apparently hasn't been there, hasn't really come across as convincing at the moment. So I would try and uh, try and present it now. So, um, I mean, to start with, like, for clarity, like, this this isn't, like, my opinion of how this works. Like, this is all kind of governed by international financial reporting standards. Like, this is this is how it literally works. The, the only club in the country that this that, that this doesn't apply to is Derby County. They've adopted some different methodology, but all intents and purposes, the the IFRS standards or the IFRS 
um, sort of rules and regulations are really what governs this. So, you know, this isn't my opinion. I've not said, you know, there's some magic trick to convince people that this is a good idea. This is generally how kind of things work. So um, I think probably the, the, the first kind of fallacy that, that, that I'm kind of seeing regularly is that, that people were focusing purely on the wage aspect. And I, I agree, £180,000 a week is, is an absolutely enormous amount of money. Um, but the problem really is, is that when people are, are so zeroed in on the figure that they're seeing, that they're not seeing the, the sort of the complete picture. So for Chelsea, in terms of how they kind of manage their, their players, you know, in terms of sort of assets, and I, I hate using this word and using financial terms to describe players, but, you know, this sort of the kind of the world that we're living in at the moment. Um, you know, these, these assets, the way that they account for them, the way that they account for the costs and manage the costs is... Sure, you know, wages are a big portion of that, but then you also have, as as you know, it's been mentioned already, the the amortization aspect of, of players that Chelsea have acquired. And people for, for whatever reason completely uh, seem to ignore this this kind of amortization aspect of, of players that come in. So, you know, you have two components when you're looking at the total annual cost for a player. So the, the total annual cost being how much it costs Chelsea to effectively, you know, keep this player on the books for that particular uh, financial period is essentially the the annual wages that they have um, and then the the amortization that they pay for the player and you know amortization is essentially well I mean there are it is a little bit more complicated but for the purposes of, of making it as, as simple as possible it is effectively a transfer fee divided by the contract length of, of a player that is signed so you know a 50 million pound player signed on five years you know 50 divided by five is 10 so the amortization is 10 million pounds per year a 60 million player 60 million pound player signed for five years. 12 million. It's it's not uh, it's not rocket science. It's not something that you you need to have a uh, degree in economics or a master's in economics to, to figure out. So that figure, that amortization figure, is a big portion of of what this total annual cost is. So you effectively take the weekly wages times it by 52 to give you an annual figure. Add that to your amortization fee. Uh, that is effectively what that player costs Chelsea every single season. And uh, when Chelsea buy players. You know, it's not about the £120 million transfer fee. It's about whether that player, the total annual cost of that player can fit within the, the amount of money that in, in this pot that Chelsea have um, per year. So, you know, for example, one of the, the new trends that we've seen is that if people remember Kepa signed a seven-year contract because they wanted to make sure that his amortization cost was lower. So it's £10 million a year, not over five years, which is 12, 13, whatever, whatever that figure is. So, They've given him an, an, uh, a sort of slightly longer contract in, in that relation to keep the amortization cost of him down. So when people were questioning why the contract was so long, I would say probably with a, a fair degree of certainty that it is primarily because they want to keep the, the amortization for him to £10 million per season effectively. Um, and obviously, you know, when buying in players, this amortization cost is huge. And then the converse of that is academy players, it's nothing. So... You know, in terms of your development fees for players, all this sort of youth investment for the purposes of the accounting of the player, that figure is zero. So your purchase price for, um, let's say, someone like Olivier Giroud was £18 million. His annual salary, um, or sorry, his weekly uh, salary is £110,000. He costs the club about £14.7 million per year. Um, that's the figure they pay for him. Batch is about £11.3 million. Um, and I think Tammy at the moment, so looking at, some figures that I've got here. Tammy currently on his deal costs the club £2.6 million a year. Now, again, you don't have to be some sort of insane brain or business person to understand that that is quite a big difference in terms of money. In fact, you know, for the difference between Olivier Giroud and Tammy, you can go and buy Mishi Batshuayi again if you really want to. I'm not sure people would at this point, but, you know, <laughs> hypothetically, that, that is, you know, that is a player 
a physical player that Chelsea can buy difference in terms of costs. Um, and that's kind of really, I suppose, where, you know, where kind of the, the, the sort of argument comes from is that, you know, the, the benefit of, of having academy players and having someone like Frank Lampard here is that when they come into the, when they come into the first team, even on the most astronomical wages that break all sense and reason, the people that look at wages as the most important thing, Tammy at £180,000 a week costs the club would about £9.4 million a year. Again, go back to Olivier Giroud. That's, that's just under £5 million a year, less than Olivier Giroud. That £5 million, add it to another player, maybe Billy Gilmore versus Jorginho, maybe Ian Matson versus one of the backup left-backs we have. When you can substitute some of these senior players, maybe some people who are more in the middle tier, your Zappa Costas, your Bakayoko's, your Drinkwaters, your, you know, maybe if Alonso's moved on, Emerson Palmieri, that there are lots of names that can go. And if you can substitute them with a, a canary player who is potentially as good, um, or at least can cover for them, that residual money that's left over in annual costs literally buys Jaden Sancho. It literally, without Chelsea having to go and secure additional um, sponsorship, without Chelsea having to build a new stadium, it's, it's a way for the club to almost slightly cheat the, the system in terms of this amortisation cost. That is, you know, it's probably in most clubs, I would say certainly in Premier League, the amortisation fees, it's the second most expensive thing after wages. So if you can bring that side of the equation down, have people like Reese James come in, have people like Billy Gilmore, Ian Matson potentially next season, you've got your Tino Andrians, your Conor Gallagher's, all of these guys that are coming in. Even if you start paying all of them £100,000 a week, you know, Reese James costs the club £5.2 million a year. I think Zappa Costa, from memory, is about £9 million. He doesn't even kick a football for Chelsea. You know, <laughs> oh so God. that £4 million difference, it's just, it's just wasted money. Danny, I, and, you know, I've created this new benchmark. I call it the DDB. It's the Danny Drinkwater benchmark. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, patent pending on this. And, and for, let me but, guess, it's not a good one. <laughs> it's not a great benchmark, no. <laughs> But uh, so Dan, I mean, it, it's nice because it's nice round figures. So Danny Drinkwater costs the club one million pounds per month, twelve million pounds a year, just over that anyway. So you know when people are talking about the the value and you know the the excessive wages and Callum Hudson Odoi's contract and and all these sorts of things, like yes, in isolation, those wages are enormous. But again, if you have to think of this from a a, a concept of of how Chelsea manage the club, how Chelsea manage their finances, how Chelsea use their money to buy players. Having Tammy at the absolute worst case scenario for the club that he signs a deal on £180,000 a week, he is still £2 million a year cheaper than Mishi Batshuayi, who has ne- is never, ever going to score the same amount of goals that Tammy has. And then the second part of that equation for me, and this is the question I've been asking everyone who's had a lot of issues with this way of thinking, is I presented some things that, that, to them, you know, to about, okay, so... If we ignore the fact that Tammy at the moment is on £50,000 a week, I mean, you, I mean that's literally like a £10 million player on like £10,000 £10, a week. You're never, ever going to find a Premier League striker who's going to score maybe 15 to 20 goals a season for that kind of money. Tammy at the absolute top end on 180k a week is the equivalent of Chelsea going into the transfer market, finding a player for £30 million and paying them about £75,000 a week. For context, Michi Batshuayi earns £90,000 a week and costs £3 million more than that. So... What you're saying is, is that for the, for the, you know, the, the kind of the, the affront of, of paying Tammy so much money, you're willing to probably give up someone who I think probably will score 15 to 20 goals a league in, you know, every single season, potentially. You're willing to give up that amount of goals to go out and buy someone who is absolutely nowhere near as good enough just because you don't want to pay him the money. And if we look at the players on the top end of this scale, we're talking about guys like Moise Keane, who's Everton. That's one Premier League goal this season. 
Joe Linton is much more expensive than Tammy. Joe Linton at Newcastle, one Premier League goal this season. These are the players that you have to compare Tammy to on the wages that he's asking for. It's not Kylian Mbappe. It's not Anton Griezmann. It's not all of these top-end players. That's when you look at the total annual cost of the player. And that, that for me, that's the real crucial thing, is that if you look at the total annual cost, what you're paying or what Chelsea are actually accruing for Tammy is the equivalent of a £30 million player on 75k a week. And as we know, that's not really much in the Premier League these days. I mean, a, an average Premier League player, or let's say let's say an average-ish player that Chelsea have been linked to, Moussa Dembele, Leon are after 70 to, 70 to £80 million of him. Do you really want to double, triple, quadruple the total annual cost of Chelsea, which means we have less money to spend on other players, less money to spend elsewhere in the market, purely because you don't want to pay someone £180,000 a week? I personally think that he's probably going to settle for 120 with bonuses. And again, if we look at that figure, again, you know, it is, you know, 6.2 million pounds a year. Again, looking at Olivier Giroud, 8 million pounds a year cheaper than Olivier Giroud. It's still 5 million pounds a year cheaper than Michi Batshuayi. So I think people have maybe got a little bit obsessed with the 180. I think that, you know, as, as a top end figure, even at, even at the absolute top end, the, the bargain that Tammy Abraham is to Chelsea Football Club is absolutely mega. It's, it's crazy. You know, when we're talking about, you know, for example, someone like, uh, let's say, Jaden Sancho. Um, you know, this is a guy who probably is a, I don't know, £120 million a year transfer. Let's say he's on, I don't know, £250,000 a week. You know, this is a guy who will cost the club £37 million a year. You know, and, and we're talking about Tammy costing nine million pounds being too much, even though he scores 15 goals a season, probably will, will be 15 goals a season. And the thing is, again, you know, looking at it from a sport building perspective, if you lock Tammy in on a deal for five years and he eventually comes your backup striker, you've got a very, very, very good rotation option, very, very good backup striker who is much cheaper than Michi Batshuayi, much cheaper the, than Olivier Giroud on a contract that makes him maybe somewhat, you know, somewhat difficult for him to personally want to move elsewhere. So he's kind of locked him for a five-year period at the club where he's going to be a great squad player. And that is kind of the, maybe the slightly sneakier side of, of getting some of these players on long-term high-wage contracts is that, yeah, you know, if he wants to move, it will purely be for footballing reasons. It won't be for more money because he's probably never going to have that sort of contract on the table in his life. So you're locking in potentially guys like Tammy to be a number two player. If you go out and buy your, your you know, Haaland or whoever is going to be the number one striker at Chelsea in the next two, three seasons. But then you've got an absolutely excellent backup that essentially is the equivalent, as I said, of a £30 million player on 75k a week. That's literally the level of pay that, you know, the level of investment that that, that £180,000 a week represents for, for Tammy Abraham. So, you know, when people are talking about wages and wage structures and all this sort of stuff as well, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, I speak to football agents and, and, and agents know that, you know, it's not going to be this sort of explosion of wages. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened at Chelsea. You know, Reese James went and got a hundred thousand pound a week contract. You know, Aspilicueta is is the club captain. He's a million times more experienced. He wasn't rushing to Chelsea to double his wages. Zappa Costa's the same. You know, it, it doesn't happen because they know. At least certainly, the agents know now that clubs are not just looking at wages in isolation. They're looking at the annual cost of the player. You know, so. Right. When players come in on 150k, 160k a week, you know Christian Pulisic, what 58 million pounds, 150k a week. You know, if if he came in for for zero, he would probably be on 200k a week easy. He could have argued, he could easily argue for that sort of wage, and his agent would, would be completely within the uh, you know within the realms of 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 reason to ask for it. So, 
yeah, you know, I know that this is a lot of numbers and maybe a lot of jargon for people to understand, but the, the key sort of takeaway is that it's the total annual cost that is the impact of Chelsea Football Club. It's not the wages in isolation. So when you look at the wages and you see the figures, you have to factor in the fact that actually, you know, he is not going to cross the club, even at the most extreme end, more than what the club are currently paying for Mishi Batshuayi. And that that would be the, the comparison that I'd make. So, Joe, I think, you know, as you kind of outline this approach that Chelsea needs to take, what I feel like I'm hearing is that one of the ways we can, con- you know, continue being creative within our way to achieve success, knowing that you know, we're, we're limited in terms of the stadium capacity. Maybe we don't have some of the same sponsorship arrangements that are generating an extra 10, 15, 20 million pounds a year, like yeah. a Manchester United. It sounds like to me, our best go forward strategy is going to be bringing in the Matsons, the Gilmores and others on really low end deals so that we can, you know, even though it might seem astronomical from a wage standpoint and making sure that we can then free up 10, 20, 30 million extra to sign, you know, one or two studs. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think the, the problem that Chelsea have had is I, I call them the, the middle tier of the club. So this is sort of the Bako Yoko, the Zappacostas, the Emersons, the, you know, they're, they're international footballers. We paid a significant amount of money to get them here and they cost a significant amount of money. So, Anytime you can swap out a mid-tier player for an academy player, and obviously this comes with the caveat that you know the academy player has to obviously be good enough to play for Chelsea right, first. Right. It's not just some sort of pity, pity kind of financial strategy here. They have to be good enough to play. But I think with, you know with Gilmore, we've seen potentially that he he has the the tools to be part of the first team squad. But every time you can make one of these substitutions and you kind of start incorporating some of the younger players in the squad, that leftover money that that you know reducing your total annual cost, removing your, uh, your amortization, removing or lowering lowering this cost, it, it means really that on the current the current way that Chelsea's run, there's there's no need to go and seek these these huge uh, you know paperclip sponsorships and this other random stuff that Manchester United has. It's really sort of unnecessary, you know, printers <laughs> and paper and you know they they have sponsors for everything. But it lessens the burden on the on the stadium demands. It lessens the burden on the commercial side because you know it's it's effectively the same pool of money. All you're doing is you're just taking out scoops of, of water from the jug and putting them into the, 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 the jug that you can use to, to, to go and buy players. So, you know, reducing the player costs by bringing in three to four, let's say, academy players next season. The difference, you know, the, the one I like to use is, is James Zappacosta. If it's, if it's on average three to four million pounds cheaper, if you do that four times at 60 million pounds, you know, as I said, at the moment, Chelsea are paying, I don't know, that's probably similar to what Chelsea account for, for Jorginho, for, for Kepa, for those sorts of standard players. So you should realistically be able to go out and buy one or two first-team players just by being more sensible with how we manage the financial side. That's without yeah. looking at, you know, bringing in uh, additional money for players that we sell and all that sort of stuff. It's literally, if the club is run as is, and we get rid of some of these players who are costing the club an absolute fortune to not even kick footballs for Chelsea, um, you know, and bring in, bring in younger players. Yes, you know, again, the, the wages are, they're astronomical, et cetera, but the cost is not compared to what they're, you know what their counterparts are, uh, you know, are getting. I think I think Reece James earns thirty thousand pound a week more than um, more than uh, Costa, for example. So Zappacosta's on seventy k, Reece is on hundred k. Oh, you know, Reece James shouldn't be earning hundred k. Costa was an Italian international. Is is literally something that someone has said to me. I mean, I, I, let's not get into how good each player is, etc. But <laughs> just as just an example, these are some of the questions that people have said. But Zappacosta is still more expensive because we have to we have to amortise that additional five six million pound a year. Um, from his transfer fee, I think it was 25 million pound over four years. 
you know, so you, you have to account for that 5.2 and then his wages, et cetera. He's still, you know, three, four million pounds a year more expensive because of the amortization. And you can't really, I think, personally have sensible conversations about squad building and the finances of the club and, and attack players for certainly homegrown players who are wanting to get wages if you don't really paint the entire picture. And the picture, and I certainly know this from speaking to agents that have uh, academy players on their books and have, you know, some of the people that we're talking about, that you know, they are their clients. These are sort of the, the, the people that I've been able to talk to, certainly over the past few days. They know that from a standpoint that their, that their client is cheaper, even if they have a ridiculously overpriced contract, than the alternative. And I think that the thing that we're playing to Tammy's hand is, well, you know, if there is a scout out there that can find Chelsea a striker in the Premier League who will score 15 to 20 goals for Chelsea, but costs 30 million pounds and is happy to take 75k a week, then you know, if that's absolutely fair enough. But then, you know, then you're only kind of getting a, a kind of it's a net response, you know. So um, you know, all these people saying, yeah, get rid of him, just get in a better player. You know, it has to be someone who is significantly, significantly better to to not want to pay him that money because you know, for nine, 10 million pounds a year, 15 Premier League goals is super, super cheap when. There are guys like Joe Linton and, and Moise Keane and, and people being bought from overseas who are costing, you know, 15, 16 million pounds a season who are either scoring very similar to him or nowhere near as, um, nowhere near as, as many goals as him as well. But also, Joe, I think to, to me, it, it reframes what I think is a bargain, right? Like, I think yeah. as, as Chelsea have done business over the last, like, five to six years, particularly, you'll look and go like, oh man, you know, 30 million pound transfer fee. That's, that's not bad at all considering some of these like insane transfer fees that are going around. But it also, you know, if you look at the total annual cost of Danny Drinkwater, the, the DDB, if you will, <laughs> um, that it reframes not, by the way, not that anyone thought Danny Drinkwater was a steal. Um, exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, Let's put that out there. Hey, you know what? Deadline day <laughs> signings are always a steal. All right, nailed it. <laughs> um, it, re- it reframes what what a quote unquote bargain looks like, um, which you know I think is really important for people. Um, you know, like t- to me, Joe, if, if you were if you were to pick out, and I, I think you probably have these folks in your head <laughs> right now. Uh, if you were to pick out, you know, a handful of folks that you know, could, could leave Chelsea's books and allow room for, you know, someone uh, at, at a, you know, kind of top tier level to come in, who, who would those folks kind of be right now? And, and do we have enough academy support in those positions yeah. to make it work? I think the, I mean, there's a couple that, that, that jumped to mind immediately. And I, I think certainly, I mean, I think everyone on here knows I'm, I'm not the world's biggest Jorginho fan. Um, so if I was Shocker. looking at, Yes, yeah, it's, it's shocking shock news. Yeah, yeah, shocking news, breaking <laughs> news. Um, but I, I think Billy Gilmore can can do that sort of job. He can do the very similar role, the kind of the dictating role in midfield. So, again, this is a guy who, again, probably an amortization, what was he, £60 million? So, five year contract, £12 million a year, you know, plus uh, what's he, £110,000 100, a week wages. So, let's say for argument's sake, five, five and a half million. Again, £17.5 million pounds or, you know, Billy Gilmore, if you give him, I don't know, let's say a. Eighty thousand pound a week contracts. Um, he's not you know. going to know what to do with all that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's not going to know what to do with all that. Plus, he's thirteen million pounds a year cheaper um, than than Jorginho. So, I mean, he he's one I'd look at certainly. And then probably, you know, again, I think Chelsea need to buy a, a first team left back. Let's, let's say Alex Tellers, forty million pounds. Let's just use him as our benchmark example. Also means you can sell Marcus Alonso. Also means you can sell Emerson Palmieri. Varying degrees of cost there, but I mean between Jorginho, Emerson, and uh, 
Alonso, you're probably getting very close to the amount of money that Chelsea would need to push towards someone like Jadon Sancho. Without, I don't think certainly someone like Ian Matson coming as a backup to Tellers and uh, Gilmore taking kind of the, the passing role in midfield. I don't think you're really losing an absolutely enormous amount there for the potential upside of A, adding a first-choice left-back and then also being able to go out and buy someone like Jadon Sancho. Um, I'm using Jadon Sancho because he's the extreme end of the of the transfer spectrum. If it's a really top midfielder, Thomas Party at Atletico Madrid, for example, that's, again, obviously a much more realistic expectation. But some of these sort of sensible player sorts, and then obviously just getting rid of some of the deadwood. You've got Bakayoko, again, you know, someone who, who probably costs the club I don't know, £13 million a year in terms of total player costs. Hasn't kicked a football for Chelsea in years. Danny Drinkwater, obviously, the DDB, £12 million. So, I mean, that's £25 million in player costs. We looked at Jadon Sancho being 37. You're not that far away from uh, from being able to afford Sancho just by getting rid of Drinkwater and um, Bakayoko off the books. Adding other players, Sancho you know. would cost thirty-seven a year, thirty-seven million. Yeah, yeah. So because uh, that I, inflated signing fee, right, and the agent fees and everything. That, that that's without any of that. So that's that's the oh. that's the crazy thing. Yeah. So <laughs> I've I've got that on a let's say uh, one hundred and twenty million pound fee is what we're seeing quoted. So um, people normally some five year deals. So twenty-four million pound a year amortization. I've said two hundred fifty thousand pound a week probably for someone of his ability in terms of wages. That's thirteen million pound a year, thirty you know thirty seven total without signing on fees, without agent fees, without image rights. I mean, all this oh. stuff is a little bit more complicated, and I deliberately leave it out because then yeah, that actually probably fair. does require me getting a whiteboard out and <laughs> and doing the <laughs> and doing this sort of the plotting of the graph. But on a basic level, as I say, thirty seven million pounds. But when you've got drink water at twelve, back a yoga at thirteen, potentially, you know, Zappa Costa probably around about nine. You've got Palmieri probably around about nine. You know, if you can get rid of some of these players, it doesn't involve Chelsea having to go out and sell, you know, 15 players to fund Sancho. You just need to sort of be very smart with some of these kind of squad players. And I also think as well, because considering that the these FIFA loan rules are kicking in next year, that there will be a little bit more pressure on Chelsea to actually sell some of these players because those loan uh, positions are going to be incredibly high value because you want to send your best young players out on loan. You don't want to just use... Uh, alone to sell, you know, send Danny Drinker out to headbutt people in Burnley or, you know, whatever else he's, he does out on loan. Um, you know, you want you want to use them for to develop players. You don't want to use them just to offset wages, which is how Chelsea have used them for quite a while. So do you think, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, but I remember a couple of years ago, Marina was kind of like, I'm done. Raiola, some of you, Mendez, some of you super agents, were just done negotiating with you because the agents themselves were asking for, yep. I mean, essentially like multiple millions of pounds yeah, that they wanted. Like it was like, it was like, like they're you, kicking a football for Chelsea. Like. Right. Or, or, you know, it's like, <laughs> Hey, you have to sign me and my two brothers. It, it's uh-huh. like the same thing, right? Where there's like an you know, additional signings come with it. Um, I'm assuming this was like a huge part of it as well. I mean, is that part of the club's approach as far as, I think we've seen us not pursue some big players over the yeah. recent years because of these highly inflated agent fees in the club. Just look at it again, as you say, total cost. It's affecting the, you know, what types of players like we would never go after Pogba with Mino Raiola asking for right. 10, 12, 15 million himself just yeah. on the side. So, I mean, again, just because we've touched on it in terms of agent fees, um, they're also treated in a similar way to sort of the player acquisition. So they're also amortized over the length of the contract. So again, if we well, let's just use some simple numbers, if uh, I don't know, Raiolo wanted uh, 15 million pounds to move a player who signed a five-year deal that would add additional amortization of 3 million pounds a year to that player, for example. So 
Chelsea have uh, have tried to in the past certainly limit some of their dealings with super agents Jorge Mendes, uh, Raiola definitely being two that, that spring to mind. They tend to use guys, Pini Zahavi and Kyoto Rabchin seem to be sort of the agents that they will typically use. Um, generally, I would say that's because, at least certainly from anecdotally and also just from some figures I've seen, that their agent fees tend to be a little bit less. But it's kind of the reality of the situation of, uh, of football now is that you have to, uh, you know, for, for all of the amazing work that the agent does from moving the club or a player from A to B, which is really just sitting in a room and, and you know, agreeing on a, okay, I'm, I'm downplaying agents a little bit there. But I mean, sort of agents who are working at sort of the super agent level, you know, the the amount of, of work they do compared to sort of the 15, 20 million pound commission fee they receive is is not really kind of there. But, you know, as I said, that's sort of a a, a kind of a, a, something that Chelsea haven't certainly not done for a particularly long period of time. But, you know, again, when you're looking at, uh, let's say whenever you see a news story and you see a particular agent's name pick up, Jorge Mendes, uh, Rayola, there's a couple of others who I won't name in shame, but, these guys, when they're being linked with players for Chelsea, I always tend to look at them with a little bit of uh, reticence and also a little bit of suspicion because, you know, you might think, oh, you know, £40 million, that's that's pretty good, you know, in terms of getting this player in. But if you're adding on another £10 million for the agent, which is can be the case in some, you know, certainly with, with Mendes looking at twenty up to 25% on some of these deals, again, you know, it, it's it's something that Chelsea seem to, uh, I think quite rightfully as well, seem to not want to, to engage in. And again, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's not something again that I think is intrinsically linked to the player, and I think that they they do not like those um, kind of tertiary surrounding costs when it comes to player acquisition. So they're quite happy to pay high transfer fees, they're quite happy to pay high wages, but when it gets into the agent space, they almost see that as dead money. So that uh, in that example where we're looking at the fifteen million pound fee to an agent, that three million pound is 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 you know is just over half of what Reece James cost them a year. That that's how they see it. They could pay a academy player. 50k a week you know, on their on their first contract as an 18 year old Tino Andrin, for example, you know that that fee would cost or cover Tino Andrin's like first professional contract. So they see it as as a waste of money. I'm quite right. So real, so, real yeah. quick, so uh, as a quick question would be, how likely do you think the Sancho thing is? Just you know, no, with the economics involved, not necessarily like yes, it'd be a great addition in terms of his goals plus assists and how he's performed for Dortmund so far. But just in terms of a, can Chelsea do the financial logistics or loop wizardry looping? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> wizardry is probably the right way to frame it uh, to actually afford him. Or do you feel like we're kind of priced out? And United is probably the the only club that might be able to make that happen. I, I mean, so I, I just I'll frame it this way. So I think that uh, it looks like William is going to leave the club in the summer. I think Batshuayi will. I think Drink uh, Drinkwater will. I think Bakayoko will. I think certainly Emerson Palmieri will. I think Zappa Costa will. And if we're saying that that's sort of six, seven players, probably average amortization is probably £10 million a year, just a ballpark figure. Sancho is £37 million. That's probably £70 million in player costs just there. So... I think if Chelsea are serious, and to me, certainly I would say from, from things I've heard around the club, that they are serious about rebuilding the squad and reshaping the squad. I think the players that I've mentioned potentially, I don't think anyone is going to cry, you know, if, if they're leaving the club and, and Chelsea are getting in someone like Jane and Sancho. I think they have often... Um, I knew I shouldn't have bought that Zappa Costa jersey. Yeah, I'm really it. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, sorry that I keep I using you as an example. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's... It, it depends how aggressively Chelsea do this because 
I certainly feel that the £37 million a year, I mean, again, it, it's also, it might be the question that they offer, if they offer him like a seven-year contract, it drops to £30 million, you know, bargain, obviously, in, the, in, in these times. But again, it, it is the question for me of getting, I think, if at £30 million, if they offer him a seven-year deal like they did Kepa, then that really is just a question of uh, getting rid of Batshuayi, Giroud, and potentially someone like Zappacosta. And then that, that would cover the, the outlay required to comfortably be able to account for um, Jaden Sancho on the books for the next seven years. All right. Well, uh, we are going to pause at the Jaden Sancho. Nice little cliffhanger, something to keep you holding on for more. Uh, but we are going to take a quick ad break. Uh, when we're back, we're going to kind of talk about the implications on Chelsea specifically about the FA agreeing to finish this season, no matter when it happens. Uh, talking about the Euros being bumped and when the Premier League does return, because there's a lot of financial things that come into that as well. So thank you to the sponsor for financially sh- supporting the show. We will be right back. All right, a little bit of a transition here. So in our last podcast, we talked about Chelsea and the rest of the Premier League waiting for UEFA to provide guidance on what comes next. So what has happened since then is the Euros are officially postponed until 2021, yet they are keeping the branding, Nick, because as you know, as a brand person, uh, shit's been printed. All right, we're not gonna, uh-huh. we're not gonna. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> retrofit them. Of, of all the of all the funny things to come out of a, a very unfunny week i just when i read that i was like yeah of course you are <laughs> like <laughs> you've already the, paid for it all we or, just or you're gonna do it. like the spray paint over the zero and just try and do like a one <laughs> on the big stadium banner like of course you are yeah i wish i i really do uh also the premier league has suspended until april 30th at the earliest, which is no surprise that it was extended. Maybe it was a little bit of a surprise that it was only to then. Uh, and by then, the way, a super stretch on that. <laughs> like yeah. that's, a, that's the most optimistic view that you can take. <laughs> yeah, well, It's, it's again, like when people are like, hey, I'm going to start working out when uh, January 1st hits. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm so, going to do it. <laughs> well, here, here we are. March 23rd. Yes. And again, <laughs> they're, just, they're just pushing it out to give them time to react. Obviously, no one's expecting this to happen. Uh, but the last thing that came out of this is that the FA agreed to limit the end of the season indefinitely, which means essentially that they are going to finish the season. They just do not know when. Normally, the season has to be wrapped by, I believe, June 30th, legally, technically. They have now kicked that clause out of the contract and said, you must finish the season. And a big reason because of this is that a Sky Sports, they want their money, and so does BN, uh, to the tune okay, of 762 million pounds. And they have happily said, Dan, if you teams do not finish these games, you can pay it, which... I don't know. I was a little surprised to read that, but should we really be surprised that the Premier League is happy to pass that bill on to the their customers, their members, uh, as it would be? Am I surprised that the <laughs> Premier League and the FA are not handling this the way that things should be handled or you should try to work through this type of situation? I am shocked, shocked. Brandon. I am just really shocked about their handling of this end line. Right. Well, here. as I mean, Let me give you something to react to even, all right? There, there's actual financial consequences to this because contracts right now are through June 30th. Yes, Matt Law has came out and said, 
extensions are no problem. But again, we're talking for the big Premier League clubs. Now they have to pay these guys longer than what they budgeted for because the season will very easily go into September at this point. Hypothetically, it could go into September. So now we're talking two, three months of extra wages that the clubs potentially, as we just talked about Joe, about dropping players and picking new ones up and you know, kind of reshuffling the, the player total costs here. Shit's getting real. <laughs> Expert analysis. Love that. <laughs> so, anyways, reaction time. Um, there's a lot in the balance here financially for these clubs. Thankfully, Chelsea kind of seemed to be in a stable position compared to some of the other ones. But again, Dan, um, your reaction to kind of all of this, the news, the extension, UEFA kicking out, you know, the Euros and things like that. I mean, what's, what's it going to be like? What do you think? Well, I, I don't think April 30th is going to be the day that we resume planning for regular football that's just right off the top i am surprised that we're still saying it's going to happen this season even if it's behind closed doors you know you just look at the number of athletes who somehow can get tests for their you know covid-19 situations but the tests are still not readily available to everyone who needs them is just a, another side issue we won't delve into but i i don't see it getting better by then so I guess in in my mind, Joe, you know, and we kind of talked about this at the end of our last episode. Do you think we'll see football, you know, or see this season complete? And is it because of the financial element? Or do you think that the 14 out of 20 clubs could will band together and potentially just void the season as is? It seems like financially they wouldn't want to do that. But there are some teams that might be close to relegation that might have some interest in uh, in staying afloat in the Premier League for another year yeah um I think certainly one of the interesting things to me is that I've I've not seen certainly from any people that write about law and sport I've not seen any talk about force majeure clauses and things of this nature so these are the act of God clauses or the you know the, the super intense extenuating circumstances clauses that are often in every kind of uh, sort of agreement that you have. And I've certainly imagined that that TV companies have them with the Premier League. And, you know, from, from memory as an, uh, as an ex, you know, person who used to study law academically, you know, these clauses used to contain, you know, acts of God and and plagues and, and uh, all this sort of stuff in in there. And I think certainly some of the the wording would, at least from, from memory kind of hint tools that the situation that the world is facing at the moment, very much kind of falls into a discussion around that. So, I mean, I, I would definitely like to see, the uh, kind of a legal perspective on the ramifications if, if there are any of these sort of force majeure clauses about. Um, it's it's almost, I would say, uh, close to being an absolute truism fact that the only reason that the Premier League are looking to figure out how to continue this is because of that absolutely gigantic fee uh, hanging over the clubs to, to either pay back money or whatever. And I think also, you know, if, if that were to happen, it would drastically alter the relationship between the Premier League and a lot of the television companies that pay money for them sort of now and in the future. And whether that is a positive thing or a bad thing, um, you know, that there could, could lead to some sort of dis- disruption in the future about how Premier League football is, is shown to people is, is good or bad. I'm a little less uh, kind of certain on or haven't really pondered, but I, I'm, I'd be very, very keen to, to sort of see the, the kind of financial breakdown here. Because I think, as you say, you know, we're looking at close to a billion pounds in terms of money. It's not, it's not small change. Um no. You know, in terms of in terms of Chelsea position, I think again, you know, they they're kind of they're they're kind of quite comfortable. And I know it's a sort of weird thing to say that they're sitting in fourth, but 
you know, if they void the season and I think we stay in the Champions League, which is great, obviously, for financial purposes. I also think if they resume the season, we should probably have Kante back, Pudasic back, Hudson-Odoi back, Loftus-Cheek back. I mean, we actually we become, I think, an infinitely stronger team. Um, I don't think I can say that necessarily about all the guys around us. I think our, our injuries are often um, are certainly kind of very much would, would strengthen the sort of first team, certainly the options. And, you know, if we have to postpone it and all of a sudden you have a fit Loftus-Cheek available, I think he's he would be a huge game changer. Getting Pudasic and Hudson-Odoi back again, you know, Giroud in the current form, Abraham coming back. It kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm less, I would say I'm less concerned about it um, than I was, I think, originally when they were sort of talking about it. But it would be, I think it's it's an unprecedented thing. I know that the NBA is sort of seeing similar um, sort of questions come up about their, you know, obviously their, their kind of obligations towards television, etc. And I don't think that uh, anyone really has a, has a good answer for a bit, but it will be interesting to see certainly how, you know, someone like the NBA handles it, because I think, I think that potentially gives the Premier League some sort of steer on what their options or potential action pathway is. But it's, it's just, a, you know, it's a super, super strange situation. It's unprecedented. Um, but, you know, I, I can certainly see, again, the, the football season being replayed, but then, you know, then you have to manage the knock-on effects of that. Do you get rid of the League Cup? Do you get rid of the FA Cup? Do you do something about the Champions League for the following season? You know, do, what, what happens with the World Cup? You're going to have a summer of Euros, then straight into a summer of of, of World Cup. I mean, there's so many kind of uh, yeah. questions that, that aren't really there yet. And I think, again, you know, it's a little bit too soon to start thinking about what's in the future, but they, they certainly have to figure out how they're going to resolve the, the present situation they're in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just from a... How do you play the rest of the season logistics perspective? I don't think, just given the current trajectory of the pandemic, if you're going to believe scientists, which I, I choose to, that these you games also will... also believe numbers are real. Yeah. <laughs> All eye tests, baby. Um, I, I don't think there's any chance that these games are finished with crowds, like uh, as it currently stands. I just don't think that is a... It's a smart thing to do. They're, they're talking about a relapse of this disease, potentially, if, the, if you know, in, in the fall and winter, if this thing doesn't have a vaccine uh, in, the, in the short term. So if that's the case, then we're talking about closed door games and every player, staff member, referee before every game would have to test negative for this disease before they can play. And like just from a logistics perspective, that is going to be extraordinary uh, for, for the league to take on, Brandon. I mean, that then, so you take all the crowds away and everything. You take, you know, pre-match pubs. You take away a lot of the economic benefit from these teams that are around. Like, that's bananas to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's thousands of people because we know how many, let's say you even, you know, shut down the academy you know, I don't think you shut down the women's game, but it would be easier too because they don't have the lucrative TV deals. That is literally the, that is what is forcing this. Let's just be honest about that. Sky and BN's TV deals are what are forcing these matches to go on. Um, and so, even if you shut down all the other parts of all, all these clubs, you still have you know how many guys are how many people analysts and scouts and things. I mean, you probably have thirty to forty guys. People, I should say, not guys, people working on the first team plus a roster of, you know, 22, 26. Like we're talking about thousands of people here that you have to quarantine to your point, right? You still have to have someone open the stadium. You still have to have a, a few essential people at, at every ground. You still will have to have broadcasters there. You still will have to have 
Um, Everybody would have to test negative. Referees. That's my point, right? So you would have this like group of twenty-five to three thousand people that are just coddled, and and somehow you're keeping them away from the rest of this pandemic that's going on, which I think is going to be hard for them to do. Um, if they were to pay, it's about it's a little over thirty-eight million per Premier League club they would have to pay. Which I mean, look, that's Newcastle's entire transfer budget, right? Same with Crystal Palace. These there are teams in the Premier League not spending more than that in a season easily. Tottenham, for example, they hate spending money. Um, but it's the same idea that like that's it's, that's a pretty, as we just heard from Joe, that's a pretty significant amount of money. Now, Joe did say something, which I actually thought the fan cast did a great job talking about this on their Monday episode. Um, th- let's say the relationship between the Premier League and traditional TV broadcasters breaks down, Dick. There are people waiting in the wings at their shot to take this on. Amazon, oh yeah, Facebook. There's yep. these huge digital platforms that are thinking about it. Amazon's already taken a test on it. This could be that opening to go in and they say, remember how like Nike paid Chelsea a shit ton of money? They t- took that money, paid off Adidas. Maybe something like that happens. Like if there was an opportunity to seize this for Amazon, they could say, hey, we'll pay that $762 million. We'll take a zero dollar the first season and then we'll start paying in season two. Yeah, I think the dumbest thing that Sky Sports, BT, BN, you know, even NBC here in the States, you know, whoever is kind of like a a factor beneficiary of, of these TV deals. I think the dumbest thing they can do in the middle of a pandemic where this, you know, again, we, we talked about this last time. This is the art of shared sacrifice. Like nobody's loving this scenario right now. The dumbest thing they can do is think about their $762 million that would potentially be owed, or pounds, I should say, that, that would be owed now, and not think about how much that number could grow in the future. And just, I mean, Joe, like, I, I'm not telling you that 762 million pounds is a is a small amount of money by any means, but, like, it would be catastrophically stupid for these for these TV networks to not think about the future impact of their decisions, right? Yeah, um, I think certainly the the point now. I think with with Amazon's kind of the, the test game that they did, you know, it wasn't without hiccups, but it was pretty decent, you know, in terms of the, the coverage. I think a lot of people were quite happy to not hear the same familiar voices in terms of punditry. So they seem to build up quite a bit of equity in terms of, of fans and how they've responded. Amazon, obviously, again, being being global means that it's, you know, it's Amazon. You have Amazon in the States. We have Amazon in, in Europe. Everyone watches Amazon. It's not, you know, NBC, ESPN versus Sky Sports versus BT versus whoever it's going to be elsewhere in the world. It's a single platform and obviously the benefits of a single platform and what that brings. Um, you know, I think that this certainly could be the, you know, the opportunity that clubs, that clubs have probably needed. But, you know, this this whole concept of the, you know, the Netflix or the Premier League or whatever, terminology you want to use to describe a, a streaming service that had the Premier League if, if I could buy high quality HD Chelsea games and just buy those I would I literally would turn all of my non-illegal equipment that I have to have to try and watch them from from Denmark and and buy the subscription I would buy the subscription I bought it perfectly you know I think that there are so many people that would take a similar view that if you could just get all of the football you wanted at the touch of a button you know, then, then that is the way forward. And I, I think that the certainly the TV companies are going to sort of find themselves in a position where all of this sort of hardballing and, and the way that they've reacted and certainly, you know, as you mentioned, 
you know, are some of these sort of smaller teams going to pay that sort of money? I mean, some of them, it's, you know, that's their kind of annual wage bill. You know, it's, it's, it's a big amount of money for some of these clubs, certainly clubs that have just been promoted, clubs that are flirting with relegation. Um, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think that they're, they're kind of lighting a little bit of a, a touch paper. They're kind of creating a problem for themselves where, you know, the, the kind of cosy relationship between Sky and BT and whoever with the Premier League has been there forever. If they start sort of rocking the boat, I mean, the Premier League, you know, they, they have the capacity to go and get a deal with Amazon, to go and get a deal with Facebook, whoever whoever potentially could be the platform. Um, and they would make it work because it's the Premier League. You know, they, they have so much money invested in making it the, you know, the quote unquote best league in the world, the best brand, all, the, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think that certainly is an interesting conversation. I would be very intrigued to see how that develops particularly if we keep seeing this sort of hardline stance of uh you know if you cancel the the season then we want our our money back etc well you know forcing i mean it's kind of like forcing the fans out of the game a little bit yeah tv broadcasters say hey we're happy to you guys not be there we just want the games played (laughs) right i've got ad slots i've got inventory to sell okay you know, I don't need to wait for you to be healthy. We're just going to push on. And like you said, from a, I'm no PR expert for, from that standpoint. You know, I think Nick had a good point of saying, this is not the time to force your business agenda while the world is in crisis. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, the clubs, I, I think we're going to see a lot of precedents set for force majeure when it comes to contracts right now to your to your original point joe because this is something we've never seen before and the disruption is so significant and it ripples it's like and then you get to the point why would we make footballers potentially put them at risk because they have to interact with people and play and do these things when we're finding out that since they are physically stressed into the limit all the time because of the demands of training they're actually more likely to get sick and have it be serious yeah. than the average person because their immune systems are constantly under stress and, and, and suppressed. So again, I just think when we look at all of this and then the clubs can say from their standpoint, I don't have $38 million to throw away at this or whatever, and then it's not worth risking our players. I think we're going to have a standoff here. And I think the Premier League is just kicking the bucket down the road until yeah. they're going to run into a point where they're going to have to address this and and have this conversation. So um, I think that uh, with the dollars and cents tied up into this specifically, clubs are going to want a way out. And I think that they're going to try to exercise every way they can to get out of it. And I think they have every right to do so. I think the really interesting point now that you've made, and I don't think I've, I've heard anywhere near enough of it in terms of the, the overall responses, but, is, but what, what do the players think? You know, I've not seen mm. any real kind of lead or, or steer from players. And again, if, if I'm a professional athlete, you know, 22, 23, playing in the Premier League, you know, if, if I contract this disease, you, I've, you know, you've seen some of the, at least some of the sort of more informed opinion, you know, it can leave sort of like scarring in your lungs or puncturing. I mean, if your cardiovascular capacity is depleted entirely because you've contracted this disease, your career is done. You know, these these guys, as you say, they, they're, they're under peak stress, but they're, they're peak athletes in terms of their cardiovascular output. If all of a sudden you've contracted something which literally destroys your lungs, even as a young person, a young, healthy person, whatever, um, you know, I mean, are you willing to you willing to take the risk as a player to go and be in a stadium with people that potentially have the have the have the uh, the virus? Give it to you, and you know, it, it's different. You know, I 
I contract it, hopefully I'm fine, I stay in bed, I go back to work. But if, if I can't, you know, if I'm a player and then all of a sudden my capacity to run drops by 25%, that completely alters the entire direction of my career. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to say, yeah, you know, this is a money decision for the Premier League and the clubs, but I would love to sort of get an opinion, certainly from players thinking, you know, I know John O'B. McHale's basically agreed to terminate his own contract with a club because he doesn't want to play um, sort of in the in the stadiums at the moment in terms of uh, playing football in Turkey. So it'd be interesting to see how many other players put their career ahead of the, the wishes of the Premier League and, and the and the television companies because, you know, worst case scenario, if you're, if you're a young player, you contract this and it's, it really hits you hard you know, then, then you're done, you know, and it, that's it. You know, you've, there's no, there's no, there's no coming back from the fact that you can't run anymore because your lungs have uh, been destroyed by this. So yeah, it's a, a strange situation. Joe, the, the, the analogy I want to make now is the office where, where they're all kind of standoff with their like fake guns looking at each <laughs> other. It's like the players, Mexican standoff. yeah, the players, <laughs> the league. And then like, basically the, you know, like the, the fans obviously want to be entertained during quarantine. Like, Man, I got to be honest, there's just, I don't know. I, I All I can say is this sucks for everybody. It's yeah. not getting better. We're trying to provide entertainment in a time where we're, you know, luckily, luckily we've spent, you know, 35 minutes talking about wages today to kind of oh, yeah. help. My favorite help topic of, of yeah. choice, yeah. Right. I certainly wouldn't rather be talking about football. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I just... I hope everyone just takes a minute and thinks about like the net impact of their immediate actions helping to end this wave that we're currently in yeah. sooner and then hopefully getting back to a normal while all these medical professionals are trying to figure out a vaccine to get people back to like a true normal. I mean, every minute that you're in the pub right now or that you're out in a group activity is un- is. 15, 20 minutes later that you're, you're going to be delayed in getting back into your, into your normal life. So like, I just, I hope that everybody, the league, the TV companies, everybody just thinks about their net impact because it's scary. And I, I don't think people are, are not, or are yet taking it as seriously as they should. No, yeah. And, uh, slightly more lighthearted, Nate, but there's, there's only so much disc golf and professional dodgeball that I can watch on YouTube before, before I need to watch <laughs> something a little bit more akin to a real sport. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's the thing, you know, if people, if people want to get back to normality or some, you know, kind of some sense of normal by watching sports and having sport played, then, you know, as you say, you've got to take the action upon yourself to, to self isolate, to follow the measures that people are suggesting to, to limit yourself for the time being because the quicker you do that, the quicker normality returns. I mean, you know, I found myself yesterday going down a hole of watching disc golf. I mean, again, you know, for an hour to trying to kill time, it's absolutely fine, but I'm not sure I'm going to become a long-term fan and uh, start, start <laughs> doing the, uh, I don't know, the London is disc golf kind of uh, spin-off podcast version. But well, I yeah. appreciate that uh, Hulu has indicated that they are doing marble racing, cherry pit spitting, <laughs> uh, dodge juggle, arm wrestling, hamburger eating, and robot fighting. And, I mean, uh, robot really fighting exci- I can get behind, yeah. Yeah, robot fighting, <laughs> very bots. exciting. I need <laughs> violence right now, baby. I need, I need a ton of violence. <laughs> well, yeah, it has, exactly, yeah. It has been nice that uh, clubs are able to show past matches in full to kind of help with the void. Uh, Obviously, Chelsea have shown the 2012 Champions League final. They've shown the 2013 Europa League final. Um, And I think they've dug back in some other ones. So it is great to see that, you know, broadcasters are at least opening, you know, the teams up to show some of their highlights and things like that. But uh, the void is... Right now, they're showing Chelsea 6, Arsenal 0. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) 
Oh, always a, a fan favorite, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, but with that being being said, you know, we're just trying to fill the void, uh, trying to do our part in the world in this situation. And we hope that you, all of you listeners out there, are doing the same. But uh, we are going to wrap it. We're super excited to have Joe back on. Hopefully you enjoyed a little bit of the discussion on kind of why it makes sense, you know, to, again, <laughs> replace some of these middle tier players that we're bringing in for between 25 and 35 million for academy players uh, financially. And, and it allows us to bring in the Jaden Sanchez of the world, Nick. Just like a virus, spread this knowledge to your, to your 10 closest <laughs> friends, and then they'll spread it hopefully to their 10 closest friends. And we then maybe, get to a million plays. Yeah. Let's, maybe let's someday, <laughs> maybe someday we'll, we'll be there, you know? And if you break the chain, then dot, dot, dot. <laughs> At least God. seven years bad luck. You know what they say. If you don't retweet this, <sighs> only joke side. Joe, thank you again. Uh, sounds like we'll be coming at everyone with a part two, um, but your time is much appreciated. So thank you, sir, for coming back on. No, it's been great. And as I say, it's, uh, it looks like I've got a, quite a bit of spare time on my hands over the next few weeks. So if you uh, if you need a guest Noted. or whatever, then yeah, I'm more than happy to jump on. Will do. Well, also, thank you to all of you listeners out there. We appreciate you more than you probably could ever know. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.